0: Babylon Explained. That's the title of the message today. I've alluded to it throughout this series, talking about the concepts of Babylon, not just a geographical place. And um, how many of you have ever fallen down the rabbit hole of like TikTok or Facebook or any type of social media? Anybody? Okay. Like you clicked on one thing and then you're like, huh, how do they feed monkeys in a zoo? And then you just kind of, it just snowballs into something else, right? Well, this week I found myself in a rabbit hole um, looking at excavation and archaeological evidence Uh, that comes out of Babylon, the actual location that still exists today. Uh, It's been marked as a World Heritage site, and um, they do allow some visitors. It's in the modern-day Middle East, uh, about 60 miles south of Baghdad. And surprisingly, this is amazing, the judgments that God lists in Scripture against Babylon the then entity, but now it's bigger as a concept for us, are still happening today. There are words in Isaiah chapter 13 and 14, Ezekiel chapter 27, that say you will be desolate and hyenas will inhabit your high places and literally That is exactly what there is. It's dirt mounds and tombs and things like that, but it is marked off. There's no people that live there in that actual place. It's very, very interesting to a history guy like me. I fell down that uh, rabbit hole and really enjoyed finding out some of that information about Babylon. But Babylon is bigger than just a city somewhere in the Middle East that existed then or what ruins exist today. And so I feel like it's really important for us to walk through like a definition uh, and expound upon What we see throughout scripture is talked about when it comes to Babylon. Let me first say this, though. If you're joining us for the first time or if you've been here for several uh, parts of the series, you should understand this. But I want you to know Revelation, the book of Revelation, is not chronologically linear in its entirety. You say, well, pastor, that sounds like big words and it, we're, we're in a school classroom today. Yes, you are. The school of the Bible. I want you to understand this because the end times prophecy profiteers who write the books and make the corny movies that have come out, some of which were a blessing to many people, okay? Um, let me just say to you though, what we imagine as a linear, linear meaning line, what we imagine as this happens this time, and then this happens, and then this, when you're reading through Revelation, you're not able to actually clearly mark out those lines every single time. And here's an example. Today, as I talk to you about Babylon, if you've been here for any of the last couple messages that I've preached on, you will know that there's Babylon's fall is mentioned in Revelation 14 as having been done. But now we're going to read about it in Revelation 18 as having been done and finished. Here's what I want to communicate to you. What I believe John is doing is communicating different aspects of the same event. So it's not that Babylon fell, rose up again, and then fell again. It's not three or four different times that are happening. It's that John is communicating or exposing us to different aspects of the same event. Um... What, what we're gonna see in Revelation chapter 18 today is that God is finally executing his long withheld judgment on Babylon, and it is not a geographical place only. So, the biblical writers use the concept of Babylon to describe governments, spiritual entities that empower things, nations, People, the concept of Babylon is not just a zip code, okay? If you got that, nod at me. Yes? Okay, perfect. So in order to understand the role that that the concept of Babylon plays in the last book of the Bible, I really think that it's helpful for us to actually find out about its origins in the first book of the Bible. So go with me this morning to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9 And we read in verse 1, it says this, After the flood, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Look up at me and hear me. God saw the wickedness that was on the planet as a result of sin's encroachment on the human story. And not very long after creation had we gone completely haywire. And so God wipes out the existing population, but he saves a remnant. Everybody say the word remnant. Remnant. That means leftovers. I was talking to somebody recently and they said, oh, my family doesn't eat leftovers. And um, I thought, well, I do. My kids don't really like them. But here's the thing that I'm, here's the point of what I'm saying. God always Will have a remnant. If you're a believer today. In the year 2023. You are part of the remnant. You are part of those. Who God is preserving. By his goodness. By his grace. And by his mercy. In order to be part of his family. And his kingdom. That's a good thing. That's good news. Amen. So I want us to look at the importance of Babylon. Um, and understand it, and you say, well, pastor, why did you start talking about Noah? Because when God comes down uh, to speak with Noah, when he ministers this word to Noah in Genesis chapter 9, he's essentially creating a new covenant. We call it in theology the Noahic covenant. It's the covenant that God made with Noah. And it's very similar to what he said to Adam and Eve. He said, now go. You're, you're my remnant. Now go, multiply and fill the earth. A century later, though, it seems like men, humans, had no interest in obeying God's command to go and populate and fill the earth. Instead, they wanted to live in opposition to God's will, and they wanted to do their own thing, build a city, and stay hunkered down together and do their own thing. So, in Genesis chapter 10, we read about the beginnings of this first major city— and it says this in Genesis 10 verse 8, Cush, they had some funny names in the Bible. Okay, I know you've heard a couple of funny names too. My name's Dexter, it's not all that common. Cush, really? You named your kid that? Okay, Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. If you ever want to go down a rabbit hole, look at Genesis chapter 10 verse 8 in the original language. It's very interesting. Essentially, it's communicating that Nimrod was the first of his kind, a warrior like no other. Verse 9 says this, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Another way to translate that phrase before the Lord, according to scholars and theologians, is one who is opposed to God or stands in opposition to God. So this is not a statement that Nimrod was God's favorite hunter, okay? But he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And it says this, Therefore it is said, and there's a direct quotation from cultural reference, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Verse 10 says, The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. This is the predecessor of the word Babylon. Eric, Akkad, Kalna, in the land of Shinar. From that land, verse 11, he went into Assyria and built... The city of Nineveh. Some of the biblical stories that you're familiar with originate in Genesis, these locations. rehoboth Ur, Kala, and Resin between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. So let me just tell you very quickly. Noah had a son. He named him Ham. If I had a son, I might name him Steak, okay? But he named his Ham. Ham had a son, and his son's name was Cush. Cush's son is Nimrod, who is then the the foundational character of many of the different uh, cities in this region. But not to be, like, totally overlooked are the cities of Babel and the city of Nineveh had his hands in them. So go with me to Genesis chapter 11. We'll have the verses for you on the screen. It says this about the fall of the city of Babel. It says, now the whole earth had one language and used the same words. Verse 2, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. This is just how they were going to harden the clay, just so that you understand what they're talking about. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. This is really interesting because not many chapters ago, we hear that God is saying to Noah and his sons, go forth populate and fill the earth and now humanity is staying hunkered down together the bible says something interesting there in genesis 11 it says let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed throughout the whole earth so they were fueled by the sin of pride there's a good pride like i'm proud of the score of the football game Or I'm proud of my daughter's work in school. Or I'm proud of, you know, there's a good sense of pride. But then there's a pride that is actually what the Bible talks about repeatedly throughout Scripture. That is the undoing of humanity because it exalts yourself above God. When you are dealing with the issue of pride, and all of us have that issue. Some of us deal with it more than others do. Some of us choose not to deal with it. <clears throat> there's more coffee out there. There's caffeine and calories at every one of our services, so help yourself if you need to stay awake. Uh, but the pride issue is what got them to the place of deciding to go against God and to make a name for themselves and build a city with a high tower, enabling them to remain together in defiance of God's command. The city was designed and intended to be permanent and impressive. I don't know if you went to, how many of you have ever been to Sunday school as a kid? I just want to see your hands. Okay, that's a huge majority of us. Does anybody remember the felt boards Or is that, I know there's some older than me, but like my age, okay. And they put the little figurines on the thing and I always had fun helping the teacher at the end of class, like peeling them off. I guess that was the beginning of like ASMR videos, you know, like the sound and stuff. Anyway, it was, it was cool and interesting, but I can remember imagining when I heard the story in Genesis about the Tower of Babel, I can Im- remember imagining a tower that in my head looked very similar to uh, maybe like a fire watch tower, a military watchtower, uh, maybe even a lighthouse like in structure and shape. I didn't really have the concept of maybe what the Bible actually meant. How many of you thought of the Tower of Babylon as like a skinny, tall tower? Anybody else? Okay. So let me help you because I'm trying to explain to you the origin of Babel, Babylon, and why it will one day fall permanently and be completely, all of its influence will be annihilated. I want to show you what an artist's imagination of what the Tower of Babel looked like. Now this is a, a famous Dutch artist named Peter Bruegel. He painted this picture in the middle of the 1500s. You may have seen a picture like this somewhere on the internet. Essentially, it, he, his de- design of it, he believed it to be circular or thought it to be circular, so he drew it like that. Um, There is a structure in the Middle East from ancient times that shows up in many different cultures, not only in the Middle East, but surprisingly in Central America, South America, in North America, all over Europe. And the foundation of that is something called a ziggurat. It is what looks like, to the naked eye who doesn't really understand a whole lot of like the special definitions, it looks like it's in the shape of a pyramid, and it's got terraces that go around it. So most likely, we could see that the Tower of Babel that they would have been building would have been a structure that had a wide base. And in fact, if you look at pictures of Babylon today that exist in the ruins, there is evidence of a square, not a cylinder shape, but a square that would have had a wide base and a moat around it, uh, which could have very well been the origin point for where the tower was. So most historical and archaeological evidence lead us to believe the tower was a ziggurat, and it would have been the first of its kind. The reason why this is important is because that evidence still exists today in the world to back up the Bible's claims. The Bible is historically accurate. Can I get an amen? Amen. If you don't believe that, you should look into the details because I promise you, any doubt you have when you hold it up in light of God's word, it will be completely unfounded because God is always true and always right. Amen? And so the word of God can be backed up and it can hold a, um, it it can hold its own weight, if you will. As we talk about the structure, and this is just an artist's rendering of what he imagined it would have been, those places would have been places that were built in order to listen to me closely, touch the clouds. So they would have been tall enough to reach the heavens. In my imagination, when I was a kid, I thought they had a 5,000 foot, you know, building that they were building with, you know, primitive technologies. Um, and that's not necessarily what exactly happened. The tower would have been something that was monstrous and that reached into the heavens, but not necessarily like a place where you could go and literally just step off onto a cloud into God's throne room. This is important. Genesis chapter 11, verse 5 through 7 says this. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they're one people. They've got one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come. Let us go down. I want you to stop there and think about this for a second. Who is God speaking to? There's evidence of the Trinity from Genesis 1 all the way through. So God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit say, Let us go down and confound or confuse their language. And here's, here's the important part. It says, Confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So now without a common language, the people who had been so adamant about staying together and wanting to hunker down and build a civilization together were unable to communicate with one another. Verse 8 says this, The Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off or ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called or was called Babel. Because there, the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. If I wasn't preaching in Revelation this morning, but I was using this text, I would then take you to Acts chapter 2 and tell you how God redeems His message across every language. How He undoes the judgment that was previous in order to show forth a promise for the future. It's amazing. Go and read Acts chapter 2 in light of the story in Genesis chapter 11, and I think you'll be very surprised. So God in His mercy, listen to me, God in His mercy intervened in the state of human affairs. We can look at that and say, well, I guess God was the first one who believed in diversity. Listen, God put confusion in order so that they would be so confused that they would actually do what he told them to do, which was to go and fill the earth. Since they weren't doing it, he enabled them to do it through his mercy, not by destruction like he did in the flood, not by casting them out permanently like he did to Cain. I don't know if you remember that story, but God pushed Cain... And said you're going to be a wanderer. And you're going to be a vagabond for your life. And a fugitive. So God didn't issue a judgment like that. Now he has dispersed them. And divided their single language into multiple language families. You should look up some of the interesting information you can find from linguists. About the family of languages that exist. All being traced to one mother language. Historians and linguists. Who are secular and not believers find evidence of that and takes you back to a place like Babel so god 's judgment was effective, and then uh, his basic the basic understanding is that smaller groups who could speak similar language in that moment then began to like become family and say okay let 's go off and Find, you know, a city to live in or find a place where we can go. And the people began scattering and settling in the world around him. So Nimrod and his descendants um, founded the city of Babel, built the city of Babel and that tower. And Babylon, listen to me clearly, represents rebellion. That's what it does. So you say, well... What does that have to do with where we're at in Revelation, and how does that play a part? God would—there's another step in the process with Babylon. Not only did he issue that that um, directive in Genesis chapter 11, but then we find that Babylon shows up later— In the scripture because we know some familiar stories that come from it where God's people were punished, captured and exiled because of their idolatry and breaking their covenant with God. They served other gods that were not, the Bible says, allotted to them or given to them. They chose to chase after other things and God allowed them to be captured and taken to Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. Some of the famous stories that you remember from Sunday school, all those hands that raised a few minutes ago, you'll remember. And we sang a song about it this morning. The fourth man in the fire that happens in a city that you're familiar with because of what we're talking about today. Daniel is living in Babylon and they outlaw prayer because they are standing in opposition to anything that looks like God and they outlaw prayer. And I love the verse that comes after that. Daniel went, as he always did, back to his house to pray. He kept obeying God even though, listen to me, I want you to get this today if you get nothing else. Even though he lived in Babylon, he didn't let Babylon live in him. And that is the challenge that you and I are faced with today. Because I'm telling you, this right here is encroaching. It is causing my life to be filled with more and more Babylon. You think, well, I I don't use my phone that much. Listen, you've got a TV going. You listen to the news on the radio in the car. The spirit that is ruling this world currently is trying all of the time to push its message and its agenda. It's trying to ruin families and marriage, sexuality. It's trying to murder. It is trying to do anything it can That is in opposition to God. It's a sad, sad state of affairs that my family, my wife and I have to look up a movie review Before we ever buy tickets to go see a movie. Because we need to know how many references of sexuality are there. How many vulgarities of the time that they curse God in the movie. If there's any type of weird marriage and or relationship issues. We do that to vet that stuff. Because we don't want Babylon inside of us. You should do the same. Grandparents, you're not exempt. You should do the same. I I lived in a weird house growing up. It was a godly house. We were allowed to listen to gospel and it was southern gospel. So don't get me started on the cathedrals because I'll start singing. Okay. We were allowed to listen to that and Motown because Motown is special. Okay. (laughs) Now don't, I hope my parents don't listen to this message and get mad at me. I don't know how they rectified that except for those of the songs they fell in love to. Um and so we 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 were allowed a little taste of Babylon uh, if you will. Don't be offended if you love Motown. I'm just saying the the spirit of the world is present. There is a there is a spiritual realm. There's an aspect to your life that you are only a tenth of a percent aware of most of the time. So Babylon represents rebellion. God would allow Babylon to be used as a tool in his hand to actually punish his people for disobeying them. The concept of Babylon laid out for us in the book of Revelation includes, listen to me, nations, governments, spiritual and physical entities organizations and individuals who are in opposition to god now you say pastor that seems like you've got some coded language or words there let me just speak super plain to you there is no level of evil in the heart of humanity that could accomplish what hitler did without a spiritual influence there's you you're not able and this isn't something weird and mystical it's not like he went into a basement and had a séance with a demon i'm not even telling you it's something crazy like that i am telling you that the spirit of babylon exists and it's represented in nations governments leaders organizations and there's a real spiritual aspect to your life so you've got to you've got to be engaged and i'll use cultural reference currently you've got to be on guard and engaged all the time in the war that is ever present that's why we're told to wear the armor of god and stand against the wiles of the devil the enemy because he is still alive and he's still coming for you so babylon represents bold opposition to god they stand in as an affront to god Uh, It still exists, like I said, physically, uh, although it's a wasteland. And conceptually, um, supernatural forces of evil and wickedness are the empowering force behind the abortion agenda. Supernatural and spiritual wickedness is what's behind the undoing of marriage, the undoing of family, the murder of infants. That is not just human interaction. You say, well, pastor, I've never murdered anybody, so I'm good today. Wait, (laughs) I'm going to tell you what applies to you in just a second. There are human elements to all of these things but you've got to remember the spiritual and supernatural realm was always present in the mind of the biblical writers, and they desired, by God's design, for that spiritual realm to be real to you too, for you to understand. And I think we would be better off or far more successful in our spiritual growth and maturity if we better understood our enemy. This is not about exalting him. This is about knowing his schemes, knowing his attempts to undo and to um, stand in opposition to God wherever he shows, rears his ugly head. So you might say, Pastor, what makes you think that Babylon as a concept is so real even today, you know, thousands of years after the city was destroyed What evidence do you have? I've hinted at a few of these. I do not have an exhaustive list because you don't have time and you're going to go to lunch somewhere. I'm going to give you four. And I've labeled them as exhibits as if I'm delivering a court case and showing some exhibits or evidence for what I think is important for you to see about the concept of Babylon, even alive today, ruling in humanity and still, still causing damage. Humanity has fallen, and the enemy has not yet been fully vanquished. And so we're going to read that in chapter 18, and you should read that at home this week, as well as the first part of chapter 19, because I'll be in the end of chapter 19 next time we come together. Here's exhibit number one. The concept of Babylon is real because of this verse, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. The first of the Ten Commandments is this. You shall have no other gods before me. You say, well, yeah, I mean, he's talking about the Buddhists and the Hindus and the listen to me, church. He's not. He is, but he's not. He's, he is, but he's doing something in addition to that. He's saying, I'm about to send you into the land of, that I promised you. I'm going to make you my people. I'm going to give you some laws. And one of those, chief among them, is that you don't adopt any of the religion that is out there. We've talked about the um, crazy, stupid, moronic idea That the Christian church came up with years ago. Thinking that God was a racist. And that you shouldn't intermarry in the races. That is anti-biblical. That is not what God is saying at all. What he's saying is. Don't go and marry someone who doesn't serve me. He wasn't worried about skin color. Or a big nose. Or a skinny nose. Or a curly hair. Or dark hair. Or this or whatever. He wasn't worried about that stuff. He's worried about somebody putting Babylon in your heart. The Holy Spirit is real today on this message. You have no other gods. You're to have no other gods before me. So it's not just the insidious idols that the foreigners that they conquered would have worshipped. But it's also prevalent even today in humanity. Because that other god that keeps wanting you to serve it is you. You don't have to go build something out of wood or metal and put it on a shelf somewhere. You can look in the mirror. You say, oh, Pastor, no, I'm not that bad. <laughs> I'm fine. No, you are. We have all served ourselves instead of God. I, I try to do my best prim and, you know, priss like my daughters do in a mirror before they leave the house, you know. <laughs> Trying to make sure that they look looking good, you know. Uh, There's probably some guys in here that do the same thing. Of course, I make sure my hair looks good too. But, you know, you can only do what you can do, okay? The other God is you. The warning that God gave thousands of years ago, hundreds of generations ago, was that you wouldn't worship anything else but Him. This is why we as humans have absolutely become what Paul calls, in 2 Timothy 4, Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. So anytime you've ever, ever given in to that temptation to worship something other than God himself, you've allowed Babylon to creak or to open the door of your heart to slide in just a little bit. The second exhibit of evidence I'll give you is this. It's found in Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 17, I referenced it last week in my statement about the nation of Israel. I think it bears mentioning again today in a different light. Exhibit number two is, according to six, uh, Proverbs 6.17, uh, God hates several different things, and he hates hands that shed innocent blood. It is currently estimated... I hope that you are shaken to your core when you hear this number. It is currently estimated that over fourteen million living human lives are extinguished annually on this planet through abortion. Do you can you wrap your mind around the weight of that number? 14 million. China leads the charge for the amount of people that they have compared to the amount of abortions. Russia comes in after that. And we're right there in the top three. The USA. Ancient civilizations used child sacrifice as a way to serve their demonic gods. There's evidence of that in all different cultures and ancient civilizations. They did that to appease their gods. And we, in today's modern day and age, do it to appease our own selfish desire. I don't have time today to give you caveats and talk about the healing God can do as a result. If you've chosen an abortion, that's for another message. I just want to tell you this. God's grace is bigger and greater than your sin. Amen. This is not me preaching against you as much as it is for you to hear that Babylon exists and we've all partaken in it in some way. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. So 14 million humans extinguished on the planet per year. And that does not include crazy acts of genocide. That does not include homicide. That does not include euthanasia. They literally, in Europe, you can call and have an ambulance style vehicle pull up outside your house, get in it, and never come out again. One call. Euthanasia. So innocent blood is being spilled literally on every continent, in every country, here in the world. You don't think that that represents something that is opposed to God, who is the author of life? He is. He is the author of life. Exhibit number three, Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21. Man, this would be, I wonder what the church would be like. Not this church, I'm talking about the other churches. I'm wondering what the church would be like as a whole if all of us, instead of memorizing John three sixteen, just because it's like low-hanging fruit, memorize this list of things that we do that's found in Galatians chapter 5 talks about anger and envy and all kinds of stuff. But listen to me. It includes adultery and fornication in a list of anti-God works of the flesh. In opposition to him. Let me just say this. And I know we've got a mixed crowd and we've got some visitors. I'm hoping that you have a wonderful day. (laughs) Regardless of whatever the message was today. Let me just say to you this very clear statement God's view of sex is better than yours and it's better than the crazy, corrupted, despicable view of sex that the world and Babylon wants to foist onto your children and every generation after. God has a high view of sex and we as believers should too. The exaltation of one Listen to me when I say this. The exaltation of one human's desires at the expense of another human is a real and present danger and stands in direct opposition to God and His plan and His laws and His purpose. We've got to re-examine the boundaries. That God established and live within them. Listen, you can pull up stats on your phone right now for how many people in America consider themselves Christian. You're gonna see some wild number that's like 60, 70% consider themselves Christian. But then if you talk about your view on premarital sex or extramarital sex, you'll find some crazy statistics that are not in the right order. It just does not, it doesn't jive with the rest of the information. Because people think it's no big deal. How, how many bodies have you gotten? That's, that's the young people's version today. What's your body count? That's the disgusting, deplorable way that Babylon has invaded and infiltrated. And I thought my parents were crazy for not letting me watch Married with Children, but I'm so thankful I didn't. That trash that's been on TV has been showing Our our current generation, and it's getting worse and worse. You say, Pastor, should we just break our TV and throw it out? I don't know. I'll leave that up to you. I like it. I like to watch what I want to watch from time to time. But I'm telling you, it represents Babylon. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, Babylon becomes an infection that leads to mortality or mor- mortality. It, morbidity is what I was going for, the medical term. It's an infection that leads to death because we let it in a little bit. I don't know about you, but I went to a couple of bonfires at church youth groups. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. and You brought all your CDs and you threw all that devil music out. I don't know if it was such a bad idea. We're not having a bonfire today. Don't worry about it, okay? There's a burn ban, I heard. Um, I checked. I was going to have you guys walk out and see fireworks and smoke and then a big fire in the front yard, Um, but then all of Clinton would be on fire. Um, Here's what I'm trying to say to you. We need to understand that God and his laws are to be examined and lived according to because those boundaries that he's placed on sex, relationships, all of those things, they're not only for us and our benefit, but for future generations. Fourth exhibit is this. I told you I was giving you four. Here's number four. We're almost done. Where do you want to go to lunch? Exhibit number four. <laughs> that was, it was a rhetorical, you don't need to answer. Um, Exhibit number four, the destruction, what I've titled, the destruction of the imagers. There's a very cool um, concept that shows up in Scripture, starting in the first chapter, really, and continues throughout the Bible, and it's, it's something that's still prevalent to us today. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 The word of God says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The truth is, our culture has thrown off the moorings of created order. I want you to understand what I'm saying. We have bucked against the created order in allowing for all sorts of deviant things to take place. God designed humanity and human relationships to work in a certain way with a certain dynamic. Instead of being the imagers of God in the world, we've begun to worship and pursue absolute insanity as it pertains to human relationships. We have destroyed the imagers of God, we have destroyed ourselves. People are doing that on operating tables, even in today's day and age. They are destroying the image of God that he created. I will say what is biblically evident and historically true. There are only two genders, male and female. God's word says that very clearly. Now, again, this is kind of back to the abortion thing. I don't have time to break down the entirety of this today. We'll come back for another message on that subject. But I want you to understand, male and female are the two versions of gender that God created. They're meant to complement one another in every way and in relationship with one another. They image God on the earth. There, There's a reason Why husband and wife are referenced all throughout scripture. Mother and father all throughout scripture. That we as the church of Jesus Christ are uh, uh, assigned the identity of a bride waiting for a groom. Because God designed it that way. Gender is not changeable. A doctor may say it is. Or a psychologist may say it is. But it is not changeable. God's original design has been violated by all sorts of human modifications. In defiance of God himself. Because God didn't do it right. I'm going to fix it myself. You say, well pastor, I'm not that person. You know, I hear about those weirdos on TV. Listen. We've all, every culture, everywhere, participated In this Babylonian idea of the destruction of the imagers of God. Side note, I don't have time for this message either. We believe that marriage is an institution designed by God for one man and one woman. That's it. Period, as they like to say in the news these days, period, full stop. That's it. This is by no means an exhaustive list of examples or exhibits for you. You could probably think of five or ten other ones that we could find biblically as well as culturally now. Here's what I want to say to you though. If you examine any culture in the world today, you will see glaring evidence of people rejecting biblical truth and the standards of human conduct that God has given to humanity. Everywhere you look. So then, pastor, what hope is there? What are we supposed to do? Now you gave us all this bad news. (laughs) What are we supposed to do? You're supposed to live like Daniel did. You're supposed to live like Daniel did. He remained faithful to God in the midst of exile, in the midst of persecution. In fact, he's not the only one. The Bible is replete with examples of individuals like Daniel. No matter how wicked and corrupt the society around them became, they rejected the corrupting influence of their culture and they chose to live different. They chose to live different. You're in control. I know it doesn't feel like that, but you are in control of the influence. I have a dear friend of mine, the best friend that I've had in my life, He's been in my life for 24 years now. Years ago, he got off Facebook and every social media platform. He's two or three years younger than I. So it didn't make any sense at all for him to like go off the grid. And he's not a wacko. He just made a decision. You know, there are some people who are like, I'm not giving the social security number to the government. Okay, listen. He just decided he didn't want the influence of Babylon invading his life. And my hat's off to him for that. He said, oh, pastor, are you disconnecting from Facebook? No, and I'm not telling you to either. I'm just telling you that you've got to live differently than the world around you. Let's not forget why he ended up, why Daniel ended up in the lion's den was because they outlawed prayer. Something simple and non-intrusive. Like, not a big deal, you should do it, you could do it in your house. They outlawed that, and yet he said, no, I will still stand for God. In the New Testament, Paul the Apostle tells the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, I'll just give you my paraphrase, separate yourselves from them and live for God. Why does he say that if you study anything about the city of Corinth, you'll find it was a morally bankrupt society filled with all sorts of trash and issues and anti-God sentiment. And Paul is writing to them and telling them, come out from among them. It doesn't mean change your zip code. It means change the zip code of your heart. Hello, somebody. So allow me to sum up the final word. You say, pastor, where's revelation in this message? Allow me to sum up the final words about Babylon that we find in Scripture found in Revelation 18 and 19. The Bible says this, listen to me. She will fall. This is this is my summary of like 30 plus verses. She will fall, all nations, kings, leaders, and even the merchants. Whew, there's something to be studied there. The merchants who've sold her products and promoted her ideas will be destroyed. So come out from her, people of God, lest you take part in her sins. This is it in verse four and five that's on the screen. Come out from her, lest you take part in her sins and share in her plagues. Her sins, there's a, there's an interesting reference here. Her sins are heaped as high as the heaven. Y'all tried to build a tower to get to heaven? Your sins have accumulated beyond that building. And God has remembered her iniquities. I I think it's interesting that the prostitute, listen to me today with your spiritual ears as I wrap up, I think it's interesting that the prostitute gets judged and killed. And in the very next chapter, the bride rises. The bride is united with the groom, never ever to be associated with the prostitute again because she has received her due. It's it's amazing when you really consider the weight of it. She's been annihilated, the prostitute that is Babylon. She's been annihilated. And in chapter 19, the marriage supper of the lamb and his bride takes place. This is the good news. Darker days are yet to come. The teenagers that are in this room hearing me today and the preteens and kids that are hearing me today. You might think your parents are psycho. Psycho. For saying no to something that's culturally acceptable. Everybody else does it. Why can't we do it? Blah, blah, blah. Let's go eat worms. You know, that's how they feel sometimes. I did too. But I pray to God that every one of you in this young generation will raise children just like we have. That we would raise warriors in the next generation. That we would raise those who were open and understanding, like opened eyes to understand that they need to serve God and not serve this culture. So take from that what you will. There is a God, even in the darker days that are still to come, who remains alive and is coming back to redeem all who believe in Him and serve Him. The Bible says this, He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and so shall they be with Him forever in His presence, on a new earth and shall reign forever with him i gave you a little history showed you a picture of a renaissance painting told you about archaeology i mean this is a full balanced meal today but i will say this i am not the holy spirit i am just a vessel if you examine Galatians chapter 5 and examine your life as it relates to that and that's not an exhaustive list either it's just a simple list two or three verses the challenge that I want to give to you today is to let go of Babylon even though this is not Babylon the city that we live in Or the nation that we live in. Conceptually it's there. It's very real. I'm reminded of Lot's wife. Who turned back. She she was missing something. And she was turning back. I'm reminded of the children of Israel. Who in their natural tendencies. Complained what? 24 hours into the journey to the promised land. I want to go back. I mean that rock soup they fed us was really good. No, it wasn't. But the hooks of Babylon, the hooks of something else besides God himself were in their hearts. And I don't want that for you. I don't want it for me. So today I really think that all of us, the, the thing that we can do, you say, well, what can I do? Stand strong against this culture that is always encroaching. But the more important thing to do is to repent of having Babylon in your heart. Now, I don't know what that is for you. I know I joked about secular music and some other things today, and maybe something caught your attention. But I have a feeling, I have confidence to know, not just a feeling... That the Holy Spirit is real. And he still speaks to you and I today. Not just to a pastor that's on a stage. Not just to a leader in a church. But he speaks to people just like you. And he's spoken to you before. You may not have recognized the voice. But he's speaking to you today. And many of us have something that we need to lay down today. I'll never forget. Some spiritual formation moments that I lived through or experienced in, a, in the city of Pensacola in what was a local church that became a really large international following for a time. The revival that happened at Brownsville. I'll never forget being in there and hearing the evangelists bring the message and seeing people who were hungry for God and pursuing a relationship with him for the first time or just experiencing revival. And we can talk about that some other time and talk about the inconsistencies and the challenges of revival and stuff. That's not what this is about. I'll never forget the moment that I saw a drug addict laid down physically out of their pocket the drugs in their possession on the altar at the front of that church. That was a moment... Of turning. That's what I'm talking about today. You say, pastor, I'm not a drug addict. I'm not a, the evil, wicked person. Give up Babylon. Give it up. I say to you by the spirit of God, close your eyes today, right now. Give up Babylon. It'll be hard to un- undo the hooks that she's got in you. It will be a journey and you will fall and fail at your attempts. But by the Spirit of God and His strength, the Bible says you are more than a conqueror in Jesus' name. We have people who are prayer team members. Would you step out? If you're bold enough today and vulnerable enough today to step out and say, Sandra, will you pray with me? Babylon is in my heart and I need it gone. Help me. Then she'll pray with you a prayer today to help that thing be gone. It's not magic, but it's the combination of faith as we commune with God. Amen? So you can stay in your seat and pray yourself. You don't have to go to somebody for prayer. But if you feel like you want to, and maybe it's something else completely, and you say, Pastor, I just need to receive prayer for my sick mother, my sick this, my sick that, whatever it is. Feel free to step out. They want to pray with you. I want to pray with you today. But by all means, don't just jump into singing a song today and miss out on your opportunity to release the hook of Babylon in your heart. God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, I cry out to you today over this church, over these people, Lord. We lift you up high above all. And we say we want to repent and turn away from Babylon. God, I pray today that you would help us to undo the hooks of culture and all of the wickedness around us. And release those things so that we could be, as you say in the Psalms, that you could create in us a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a right spirit inside of us. Whether it's to get rid of anger and bitterness, gossip, envy, strife all of the things that are mentioned throughout scripture but holy spirit you put your finger on the thing that we need to get rid of today and help us to lay it down at this altar in jesus name all the things that i have held dear the vanities that whispered in my ear what would i do if they all disappeared Chis and fame and all that they could buy I'm left behind, they never satisfy What would I gain if my soul's the prize? I don't want to love what the world loves I don't want to chase what the world does I only want you I only want you first things first I seek your will not my own surrender all my walls to you and keep the first